I'd be a terrible movie critic. Because I'd be too harsh. No one would pass. Any of the movies that are coming out nowadays would just get an instant F. <laughs> I'm sure there's some that are probably okay. But what I'm seeing nowadays... And frankly, in the history of cinema, it's not great. There's too many things wrong with the characters. Like the way they talk, the way they dress, the way they act. Something happened somewhere along the line where I was unable to suspend my disbelief any longer. And it's gotten so bad, it's gotten to the point where all I can watch are documentaries or foreign films. That has actually made it easier on me to suspend my disbelief because I'm not watching it in my original language. And so I don't really know the accents or, you know, or how they're talking. None of that really is a factor. But there's a problem with, for instance, uh, medieval or any scene from a medieval battlefield or a Roman, ancient Roman battlefield, they have these issues where they portray the battle as just one big melee. So they come up to they come up to the battle lines in perfect step with their shields all locked together as they should be. And everyone is looks like they're about to go into battle in the proper way. But then there's the obligatory speech beforehand from the commander, which probably wouldn't happen that often. And then the first thing that happens in this battle is a problem. It's a red flag for me. And as soon as I see it, I have an issue. And that is the archers, it seems by law, are required to dip their arrows in pitch, light them on fire, and shoot them in the air. This never happened. This never happened. Fire arrows were not a thing. Okay? Um... If you dip your arrow in pitch, light it on fire, and shoot it through the air, guess what happens? The fire goes out. Uh, an arrow flying at 200 plus feet per second is not going to stay lit as it goes through the air. Now, there were some situations like on the naval ships during the Roman times and the Greek times. There was this thing called Greek fire. They don't know what it was. They haven't been able to recreate it. But... It was some sort of pitch that they lit on fire and they would load into these buckets and they would fire it onto the enemy ship. Okay, it's flying through the air at a low speed. It's an enclosed object, so it can stay lit. And then it hits and the, the jar breaks apart or whatever and the, the pitch spreads all over the deck and everyone dies a horrible death. Okay, great. Not fire arrows, okay? Those don't work. And as soon as I see that, it's like, oh man, I gotta shut this off. Or I'm just kind of like, just waiting for that scene to be over so that I can try, make an attempt to get back into the story. But then they do the next thing that shows me that they're not committed to historicity. And that is, from these perfect ranks in which they are lined up in, they're always given the order to charge now, if you know anything about medieval or ancient classical battles, the, the, the order to charge was not given very often. It was usually kind of when you have, when you have an enemy routed, 
when they're already on the run. Then you can charge and you can hit them from behind and pick off stragglers and really just sort of destroy them, demoralize them after you've already done the tactical work. But when you're lined up in these perfect rows and you have your shields, you have your shields all locked together as you should, because you know if you lock shields with the guy to your left and right, you're defending, it's just one impenetrable line, right? No, they yell charge and everyone puts their shield to their side and runs into the battle and barely uses their shield at all. And just, it becomes one big melee with no battle lines or anything. Everyone's just fighting, you know, hand to hand, one on one. That's a pointless battle. And that was not done very often in the medieval times or the Roman times. That is the type of battle that when it devolves to that state, you know that either one or both of the armies are completely headless. There is no command left. You've got to keep your battle lines. So you march up slowly and you go up to a, a thing called the no man's land, which is like where you're like, I don't know, four or five feet apart from the enemy's lines. And he's got locked shields as well. And then you try to do pushes with your shields or, um, or just throw javelins from the back rows to try and hit people. You know, there's tactics to do it. But you don't just sit there <laughs> break ranks and everyone take on one individual just pick out one individual and just start fighting him oh when i see that it just drives me nuts okay so there's a guy on youtube his name is lindy beige he's kind of like a nerd for for uh, ancient battles and he goes into a lot more depth on this but it, it it has never made sense to me the way they do battles he does like this whole breakdown on the on like troy and um, some of the other, some of the other movies from the uh, from that genre. Um, another thing that has ruined my ability to watch movies is accents. Oh man, I this is like a gift and a curse, right? I can pick out somebody's accent pretty well. I don't know why I just have an ear for it, and if I hear a person's accents off. I just, oh, I can't do that, you know? Like, you'll have a family, and they're supposed to be uh, Jewish immigrants from Hungary. And you hear everybody's got this consistent accent, except for, like, the little boy will have, like, you know, a, a British accent or something. And it just totally throws me off. So it's gotten to the point, as I mentioned before, that if I watch foreign films... Like, I have no problem with it. You know, it just, it, it, I don't know what their accent is supposed to be in their own language anyway. And so it's really, it would be really hard for me to pick it up. Like I watched Narcos a little while ago and um, it's all in Spanish and they could have had totally screwed up accents I wouldn't have known. In fact, the main character, the guy who plays Pablo Escobar did a fantastic job, but um, he's from Brazil. He had to learn Spanish just to do that role. But apparently he did a good enough job where I didn't notice it. And I I, th I would like to think that I could pick out a, a phony Spanish accent, even in that language. Um, so there's that, like languages, you know, can really mess with me if I hear them and they, they just don't sound right. And then there's 
like the way people dress, especially in military movies. I don't think I've seen one military movie where they got it right. I think Black Hawk Down was pretty close. And the reason for that was because they basically had very little patches on, which special operations people often won't really wear patches. They'll just wear their uniform, you know, badgeless. There'll be nothing on there. Because you don't want the enemy to know what rank you are, what your name is, you know, things like that, what unit you're from. So you just don't wear those into combat. But I see movies, especially like in the Marvel Universe, the, the military shows up. And first of all, what are they doing there? What are they going to do against a massive monster that the superheroes have to take out? They're never effective. Their role is just as some sort of secondary distraction. And then you see like the commander or any of the troops will be wearing a beret. Like not long ago, the army all wore black berets. Like when I was in, we did. And uh, the if somebody saw you with a messed up beret, they would... You'd hear about it immediately. They'd be like, fix your beret. And you would take care of that immediately. You, you, you didn't want to be walking around with just this lopsided pancake on your head. But that's exactly what you see in these movies. They don't even take the time to fit these berets to their heads. So, like I said, it's just a lopsided pancake hanging off the side of their head. Didn't they talk to any military consultants, anybody who had been in the military for five minutes that would have set them straight, squared them away on how you're supposed to dress? It's just, it's aggravating. Like, I know there's a lot of moving parts in a movie. Like, you have to do a lot of fancy footwork to get this thing going, but talk to somebody. Talk to somebody and find out what actually is the proper uniform for a military person. Um, so that really screws with me. And then like just little things like one of my favorite movies. Well, actually it's a series, three part series, but it's a Godfather, right? I love that series, especially part one and two. It's expertly done. It's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's awesome. I should do a review of it sometime because I just, I love that movie. Um, but there is a part of it that isn't right. And it is the role of Tom Hagen, who is the conciliary to the Corleone crime family, right? So this is an Italian-American crime family, a Sicilian-American crime family. And everything else is perfect in that movie. But they have this, I don't know what that is, Hagen? What is that, uh, German? They have this random German guy, Tom Hagen, as their conciliary. This would never happen. You would not be allowed into a crime family, uh, an Italian-American crime family, as a non-Italian. So I'm like, what's happening here? Did Mario Puzo put that in his book? Or did they just take the liberty to put that into the series? Now, the role of, of Robert Duvall, who plays Tom Hagen as a conciliary or the, you know, the advisor to... Vito Corleone and later his son Michael that's a great role and I think he did it awesome he did he did an awesome job on it and um I I think it was great but it's just it's not a role that would have existed now very possibly I guess it could have you know there are exceptions 
to the rules of, of I guess, these, these organizations. Like, you could possibly have that happen. It's just really unlikely, and especially back in the day, it just doesn't seem like that would be something that would be acceptable in that life. So, there's those kind of things that pop out at me. Um, like, recently I, was wa- I watched a little bit of Ozark, and they're in Missouri. And I'm familiar enough with, like, the Missouri, like, the native Missouri accent to know when somebody's not doing it right. And there's this girl in the show who plays a native Missourian. Is that what they are? Missourian? It can't be Missourite. Anyway, uh, she, she plays this native person from Missouri and she has an obvious like Carolina's accent, like an East Coast, Southern East Coast accent. And it, it shouldn't have drove me nuts. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have got hung up on it, but I did. And I just kept watching them like, it's fine. You know, it's not going to be a problem until it was. And then I was just like, I just can't watch this anymore. So it's devolved into the point where I'm watching documentaries and foreign films to try and distract myself from uh, inaccuracies. Uh, Oh, one honorable mention I should give when it comes to historically accurate stuff is Band of Brothers. And that's because it was based on just a literal historical uh, book on the uh, Easy Company, first in 506, the Airborne. There, you're not going to screw that up too bad. I mean, you shouldn't, especially when there's all these veterans who are going to watch it, who were alive at that time. They got that pretty accurate, down to the uniforms, the way that the villages looked in Europe. I think it was filmed on location. So they really kind of put in the extra time to make that accurate. And I wasn't around then, but I can I can tell just from, you know, photos and videos of, um, of World War II that it was an accurate depiction. And also the guys, they give interviews at the end of the, the series where the actual guys who were there that are being portrayed come in and say, yep, that's what it was like, you know. So I can appreciate that sort of thing. You know, Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg seem to really take that seriously. Um, you know, Saving Private Ryan was a good example of, it was a good example of like the portrayal of how bad that combat could be. Again, not that I was there, but from what they say. Uh, but tactically, some of the things made no sense. Um, but anyway, it's just, and it was a fictional account. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt, but I live with this every day. And I look, here's the thing. If it's otherworldly enough, like the Lord of the Rings, I can watch that. I can watch the Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit, you know, those sort of things, or like sci-fi, like the expanse, because there's nothing, there's nothing that is relatable to our world. Cause I don't know what the accent is in middle earth. And I don't know what language they're speaking on Mars, you know, in 200 years in the future. I have nothing to base it off of. It's their own world. It's their own reality. So these, those sort of um, otherworldly portrayals, 
I can deal with those because they, yeah, they don't, they're not, they're not based in, in my reality. So I can do that. But oh, as soon as it starts to get historical in any way, um, then we have a problem. Or if somebody's, like I said, if somebody gets their accent wrong or just if there's blatant historical inaccuracies, I have a problem with it. So this is my curse. I cannot watch a TV show really for very long um, before I start to notice these things going on and and then I lose it. And um, I'm sure it drives my wife up a wall because she, she doesn't really have any problem with that, you know? And um, I should be able to just go, look, it's a movie. It's a movie or it's a TV show. And it's not real anyway. Why would I care? But I just, I can't, you know? So I live with this. It's a rough life. But um, anyway, those are my thoughts. Thanks for listening.